Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here, and we are in 2022 already, although it kind of feels like a repeat of 2020, I will be honest, but it's all good. We keep it moving. I hope that you are staying happy and healthy so far into this new year. We are officially kicking off season four of the Social Workers Rise podcast today. It is episode 72. I cannot believe we have done 72 episodes. It has been such a wild and exciting ride. So I am so glad that you are here with me today because we have a really amazing guest today that you're probably going to recognize. It is uh, Mildred or Mitt C. Joyner the president of the National Association of Social Workers. She's also the president of the North America region of the International Federation of Social Workers, and she serves on the board of the NASW Foundation and the NASW Assurance Services, Inc. She is a busy, busy woman full of social work knowledge. She has so much experience in the field of social work that I'm just in awe. She got her BSW from the Central State University in Ohio and her MSW in Planning, Policy, and Administration from Howard University School of Social Work in Washington, D.C. Her professional career as a social worker actually began at Chester County Children, Youth, and Families as a protective service worker so, or a CPS worker, right? And after graduate school, she became the first department head and legal liaison of the child abuse unit at Chester County Children, Youth, and Families. She is a profession, uh, she was previously a professor, a co author of a few books, and now she is the latest guest on the Social Workers Rise podcast. I'm so excited for you to hear. She shared so much knowledge with us that I actually decided to break it up into two different episodes for you. Um, I know we are busy, so I try to make these episodes, um, you know, time efficient so that you can probably listen to them on your way to and from work. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Make sure to also subscribe and tune in next week to part two of our conversation. So with, without further ado, we will hear one, one little ad from our sponsor of the RISE directory. If you are a clinical supervisor or looking for one, definitely check it out. Let's get into it.
This episode is proudly brought to you by the RISE Directory, a national directory of clinical supervisors who are dedicated to helping the next generation of clinical social workers grow in their clinical skills. The link is in the show notes. Check it out and tell every clinical supervisor you know about this directory. Hello, Mitt. Welcome to the Social Workers Rise podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Welcome. Thank you, Catherine. I'm excited to be here. Social Workers Rise. In fact, we do rise. So uh, really um, glad to join your podcast. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. I have been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. And can I be honest with you, Mitch, because I want to really have a real conversation, authentic conversation today about the needs of social workers. Would that be okay? Oh, if we don't have an authentic conversation, I don't want to talk to you. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what social workers do. We have authentic conversations. Yes, yes. So I really, okay, so the vibe online and on social media and with new social workers is really, you know, what does social worker or what does the NASW do for social workers? So can we just start there? What, what does the NASW actually do? Okay. So first let me say it's the National Association of Social Workers and it is your professional association, just like law has the, uh, their professional association and medicine has theirs, social work has theirs. So I often say to people, do not ask what social work can do for you, ask what you can do for social work. Um, we are your professional association. We drive the agenda of all of the social workers who are members and also for the social work profession. We are the largest social work member organization around the world. We set the agenda and we advocate for the needs of those we serve. So how does that uh, plan out to you? There are 55 chapters uh, of NASW. When you join NASW, you join um, not only for the national and we take care of at national office, we basically deal with major federal legislation and we're on the hill, we're advocating, we're looking at bills, we're advocating for funding, but we also have a chapter in every state across the United States, as well as we have branches. So when you join your membership, it's not that you belong to national or the state, you belong to all of those. And in fact, you also belong to uh, a group that I am now president of because I am president of NASW, and that is the International Federation of Social Workers, which is IFSW. So really and truly, when you pay your membership, you are affiliated with all three groups. So there's things that you do in your state chapter that national in DC doesn't deal with because as you see right now, with a lot of the voter suppression and voter nullification, it is our state chapters who are advocating with local people, local government to look at what is happening, how to make changes, uh, what are the needs of social work, um, how, how can we better serve? So. 
it is a complex question that you ask. And one thing that, that if I were, were to be, you know, kind of really frank with you as well, in our schools of social work, they really haven't done a great job of getting people to understand the structure of social work, how social work began, what is our role, why is there a professional association, how does that professional association affect those who are sitting in their offices. Well, those that are sitting in their offices, uh, say in the state of Pennsylvania, where I'm from in Westchester, and when I'm working for, when I work for children and youth services, it represented all the human service agencies. It, it, it helped us identify what was the pay salary for those social workers who worked in CY and children, youth and families. And what were the credentials needed? Who could come in and call themselves social workers? So the, the National Association there in Pennsylvania was a very strong advocate. I sat on the Association for Social Work Boards in Pennsylvania. And when that started to happen, actually I was at the very beginning of that, they were getting ready to implement policies that were not particularly um, you will promote social work. So what I had to do was to speak up and say all of our um, CEUs have to be done through social work, that I also had to speak up about how we protect the public, but we also protect those that the public by making sure that families were treated with dignity and respect and really kind of embrace the code of ethics. So it's a long-winded way of saying, we provide you with your professional CEUs. We can provide you with the insurance that you need. We can provide you if you are working more on the macro end of social work with leadership training. So that is what your association does. And what it, if, if it's a gap and there's something that you'd like to have covered, as a member, you come and you address it. Uh, and we begin to look at how that might affect other social workers and is it large enough? I just had a woman um, write me uh, recently um, and I'll be setting up a call with her next week. Her son was assaulted. She's a social worker hmm. and she wanted to have some guidance on what to do. Um, you, you know, the fact is when you're a member of NASW, you get free legal advice, or at least an hour of free legal advice. That's part of your association membership. You also get to go to Home Depot and, and say that you're a member of NASW and the cost of copying and all of those things are different. So it's a plethora of things that you do. But what I like members to understand is it's not so much about you. It's about those we serve. How do we uplift the most vulnerable people in our society? Right now, we are coming out with an amicus brief for what's happening for reproductive rights of women. Uh, we're taking a strong position on all of those cases that are, you know, the case that the Supreme Court is looking at right now. But we're also doing that on the state level. So, um, that's a long-winded way, Catherine, of just kind of giving you an overview. Yes, yes. No, I, I, I love that response. And you touched on a lot of important and hot topics within the field of social work. So I specifically, I really focus on the social worker themselves. So mm -hmm. I look at their wellness. We talk about mindset and empowerment for the social worker themselves, because we're, we, we do a, a really good job of 
focusing on other people and those other populations. So I like that you touched on both of those. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned title protection. You mentioned um, advocacy for increased pay. So for those types of issues, it sounds like someone would need to go to their state first, their state association, to talk about those those types well, of things. Well, it all depends on where the policy, if the policy is through the state and through state and local governments and policies, then it would be at the state level. If it is the federal, it is at the federal level. Our state, I mean, our, our EDs are very much connected to the national agenda, so they can redirect um, if you know, right now when we're looking at voting laws, all of those are being implemented by states. They're not being implemented by the federal government. Although we want the John Lewis Act to be passed, the federal law to be passed, all of these that are happening in 48 states across the United States to suppress or nullify the right to vote, we have to work with our chapters because Pennsylvania can't tell Delaware what to do. So we have to work with the state legislators and we have to advocate at that level. And Catherine, I do agree um, that social workers have to pay attention to self-care. And as you well know, self-care now is in our code of ethics. It's an ethical responsibility now to have self-care. In fact, um, you know, I, I am doing a essential chat with Mitt which is going to be after this podcast, but uh, prior to this podcast airing, but it is about how social workers must infuse self-care. And that's not just the social workers themselves. That's also holding organizations accountable to making sure that they have a self-care assessment in there. Because what we do know is nobody can treat anybody or advocate for anybody if their own mental health or their own self-care is not that person's highest priority. So um, that was something that the members wanted. And so the code of ethics can only be changed by the members of the association. So three or four years ago, people wrote uh, and, and did the things that are necessary to put into our delegate assembly to add self-care to the code of ethics. And that was done. It's a tedious process to do that. It's almost like having an amendment to the constitution, <laughs> but it, get, it got done. And, and that was member driven. That was not, anytime you see a change in the code of ethics, it is not NASW saying we need to change the code of ethics. It is a member and a, built a coalition. And they said, this is what needs to be in the code of ethics. So competence, uh, cultural competence was, was placed in the code of ethics this uh, last go around, as well as safe care, self-care. So the code of ethics is, is not something that's stagnant. It constantly redefines itself, but it redefines itself through a structure called the delegate assembly, which is held every three years by all of the members of the association. And they elect delegates, people that represent their ideas and their thoughts. And then those delegates work on what are some of the things that you think social work should be doing that should be reflective in our code of ethics. And that's kind of how that is. That is why social work has one of the most rigorous, stringent code of ethics. It's because social workers created it, right? It's, it's not 
that the membership, it's not that those who are employed by NASW created this, this thing called a code of ethics and everybody must follow. This is what professional social workers say you need to do in order to practice social work. So I'm very proud of our code of ethics. You can't pick part of the code of ethics and say, I wanna, I wanna follow this part, not this part. You have to follow it all. And when I speak to people, that's what I speak to people about. You know, even though you're in a clinical practice, you still have to advocate. You still have to advocate for those gaps that you see in service. And even if you're in advocacy, you still have to see and assess how does it help the individual that we serve. So, you know, in social work, <clears throat> excuse me, there's been a battle between micro, meso, and macro. And as your social work leader, I want you to understand all of us, no matter what you practice, whether you're a clinical practitioner or whether you work on the Hill as a social worker, you practice micro, meso, and macro. You know, macro person has to begin to understand how does this, how does this affect my constituents, right? How does it affect those if I create or, or I advocate for this major policy like Build Back Better? How will it affect the people who receive service. If I'm at the meso level and I'm running an agency, I have to look at it upwards and downwards, right? And if I'm at the micro level working with the individual or the family, then I have to say, you know, um, you know I, I look at the EBT cards, for instance, you know, uh, we have the EBT cards and during COVID, people who received EB, EBT cards couldn't really buy anything that's taxable. Well, what is taxable? Clorox, all of the hand sanitizers, the gloves. So, you know, you began to wonder why do people not wear masks? They didn't have any money to buy masks, right? So that's a change that we need to make because it didn't protect, uh, you know, yeah, they could go to the store and buy non-taxable goods and buy food, but in the middle of a pandemic, they had no way of buying anything that's taxable. Well, social workers need to change that. We notice down on the ground, working with the individual, that policy doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And so much, you know, I, so much what you touched on, I would love to just sit and have, hang out with you all day. <laughs> <laughs> we have to do that one day. I know. <laughs> Where do you, yeah, we have to do that one day somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I, what I hear a lot and what I experience too is we're tired, Mitt. We're, we're oh. so, so tired. And especially after this pandemic, you know, we're just trying to make it through the day and pay our bills. Right. So the thought of, you know, taking on yet another task or a monumental policy change, it just sounds overwhelming. Yes, yes. But I want to remind you, you're a professional, right? And so that's why self-care is important. That's why looking at our schedules are important. Um, That's why building into our schedules time to unplug and unload is critical to those that we serve. Because just imagine if social workers are tired, imagine what the general population is right mm-hmm. and so do you think that there is any coincidence at the end of this pandemic that the mental health of america is in crisis 
The whole mental health system is in crisis. It's overloaded. That's the individual who I don't care how much money you make or how much money you do not make. We are in a mental health crisis right now um, because people are tired. The pandemic told us one thing about work. You know, do we really need to work five days a week to get something done? You know, should we try to advocate a day, a full day, a four day week where people have um, the ability to, you know, I, I talked to a, a woman in Ohio, NASW member, and she was saying, I will not do Sunday dinners anymore. I spent my whole weekend doing Sunday dinners, being at the market for the kids. I refuse to do anything on the weekend that doesn't take care of me. You know, if I want to go and do something, I never could do that because Saturdays was the wash and it was going to the market. It was making sure that my kids, and then on Sunday we had this big thing called Sunday dinner and I cooked all day for that. And then on Monday I'm back to work, right? And so she said, you know, I built into my schedule one day where I don't do anything but the things that are essential to keep my family system going going to the market, doing all the things that I needed to take care of without any guilt. And on the weekends, I propped my feet up. And she said she told her partner that there'll be no more Sunday dinners. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Sunday is for, you know, we can all get in the kitchen and cook one thing, but there should not be an expectation that we're going to have everybody over and I'm, you know, we're going to have the soup to nuts type thing because it doesn't work anymore in today's society. So I think COVID taught us that we have to prioritize so many things. And once the advent of the computer happened and people are able to email you and send you things, uh, you're up all night answering those emails that somehow we've got to now put a handle on all of that, right? Uh, and we've, we've got to do it so that we're taken care of. But I also want to remind social work, you came into a profession that was always demanding. Social work has always been demanding since its evolution. In fact, that's why it was created. It, it dealt with uh, the gaps and we had to build in safety nets and we had to convince people who are doing well that they need or are obligated to help everyone in our society and uplift our society. Social work is not an easy profession. It's not something, no day, you know, no day is the same. That's why I love social work. No day is the same if you really do social work. Every day is different. Um, but you have to remember why you came here. You know, doctors are tired. Nurses are tired. You see them on television every day trying to talk to people about getting vaccinated. But they have to show up anyway, even when people refuse to do what, the scientists tell us to do. They have to serve that individual who didn't have a shot and who's now struggling on a ventilator. They have to work to protect their lives. Social workers, we have to do the same thing. Their gaps, their mental health crisis. Our kids are going back to school and they're at risk. There's bullying, there's racism, there's all of these gaps. Yes, we're tired, but we have to go to work anyway. 
Yeah. We're in a marathon. We're in a marathon. Yeah. We, oh, <laughs> we, yeah. We, have, yeah. we have to take care of ourselves, nourish ourselves so that we can keep going and, and be the best that we possibly can right. for ourselves and, and for other people. Right. We have to learn how to say no. Social workers don't really know how to say no. Oh, we're terrible um, at it. We suck right. at we're, it. You know, we're, we just don't know how to say no. And we don't know how to say, you know, I'm not, my day ends at 530. And we don't know how not to look at our phones, right? Um, you know, I, I try, you know, as, as NASW president, I could be on 24 hours a day and that still wouldn't be enough time, right? You know, when I meet with my colleagues for, for IFSW, I got to get up at five o'clock in the morning because we have people who join those calls from all over the world. And so East Coast time is 5 a.m. because we have to worry and make sure that people in Australia can be on and that's almost midnight for them. But that day that I do that, I end my day really, really early. You know, um, I put a big old X uh, and say no appointments. And so I really do try to manage my schedule for me um, so that everything else works. Uh, and, and I can't do everything. Mm-hmm. You can do everything, just not everything at one time. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right. And because if I don't, you know, number one, I have a family. I mean, you know, let's, let's be honest. We all work at something we love to have a lifestyle that we love. Family, friends, and colleagues are, you know, you, you have to put them into that, those priorities. So my highest priority is my family. And then it's my friends and then it becomes colleagues, right? You know, you have to, you have to get it right because before you know it, um, and, and that's what again happened to COVID is, you know, family, family members lost loved ones. And, and there was a lot of regret because people weren't that connected to some of those loved ones mm-hmm. as they should have been. Um, so now they're trying to, to maintain those relationships. And so, um, you know, an organization, if you're looking at a for-profit organization, when there's enough work to be done, they create another uh, agent, another uh, position, right? Well, that doesn't really happen in the nonprofit world. So it's important for nonprofits to kind of revisit its mission. Are we doing too much? You know, mm. how much can we do? How much can we do right, right? And and make sure that we have. Uh, you know, something that we're doing that we're proud of. But when we spread ourselves so thin, we're just not doing, we're we're not doing what we we intended to do. And sometimes I honestly believe that we take on more in organizations than we should. That makes sense. Makes sense. So Mitt, I'm curious, you know, as the president of NASW and you have all of these different roles, what is a typical day in the life like for you? Oh, wow. I, you know, first off, being president of NASW, if I had known it, would I have done it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because you don't learn about something until you're, you're there. And my presidency has been very unique and I hope no other presidency ever has a presidency like mine. When I was president-elect that March, I was at, uh, in Congress and we were doing a congressional briefing and the world shut down, right? I, my grandkids live in Washington, DC and I was, had good intentions of going to visit them that afternoon. And my daughter called and said, no, you better go back home. And I thought she didn't want me to see my grandkids, you know. Um, 
And she said, no, mom, you know, you know, there's this thing and it, you know, they're, they're starting to shut down things and you might get stuck here and it's okay if you get stuck with us. But, you know, at that time I was on Amtrak train and she said, the trains are going to stop running. And I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> but I went, I listened to her advice and I got on the train and I remember getting on that train in Washington and I was the only one in my compartment. And I was like, oh my God, what is going on? because people were canceling plans and they weren't getting on anything public. And I rode home and picked up my car and I, that switch went off. And, that's, and then that May, um, we had the George Floyd incident. We had already started, actually in February, already started hearing about Ahmaud Aubrey and then Breonna Taylor and then George Floyd. Um, so, and, and coupled with that was the coronavirus. So I entered at a time when it was the most chaotic time for social work, right? And it was trying to figure out how 55 chapters and the national office would, how would we survive this, right? Because everybody was used to moving around and meetings face to face and helping the organization do a switch from uh, you know, doing everything, uh, most things face-to-face -to, -face to nothing face-to-face, -face, right? B building infrastructures at the time when they were, were needed, Zoom, Zoom, and uh, what was it, Microsoft Teams, and all of these different things that we had to get on and get our members engaged on. And then we had to help our profession deal with there's no PP for social workers who were doing child welfare. There's, mm -hmm. There were no PP, uh, there, were, there was no protection for social workers in hospitals that were going in and meeting with COVID patients and putting that whole um, Facebook uh, live stream going so that they could say goodbye to their loved ones. There was no protection of us, right? Um, and so it meant advocating and, and going on the hill and, and, and trying to find the funds and doing what is necessary. And then money came out for businesses, but would it be for social work? And then for some businesses, it wasn't allowed. So we had to get there and get on the ground so that PPP loans could, could occur on the second round for social workers. So it has been so, so chaotic. But it, the beauty of it all is we did it and it wasn't we it was social workers out there did it social workers were on the front line they did what was necessary some did what was necessary and unfortunately they lost their lives and how do we recognize that how do we make sure that doesn't happen again mm -hmm. um those are the things that keep me up those are the things that um I worry about, I remember making a statement when we shut down the schools that, you know, this would be a time for social work to come together and advocate that all kids, when they return to school, that there should be no, no summer break, that we run schools for three years uh, without any summer breaks because A, parents, if once they went back into the workforce, couldn't worry about whether, where their kids were in the summer, couldn't worry about how to pay for all of these expensive camps. And we also knew that the impact was going to be on kids. Um, trying to get the Department of Education at that time to look at it, they just would not look at anything like that. Uh, and, and our kids aren't going to suffer. I don't care whether your kid had a computer and was on online school every day. Their socialization has been impacted. 
and their mental health has been impacted. And we're not really looking at that in America. So I'm kicking and screaming about what, you know, like we warned you and this is happening. And, um, you know, it, it's going to take us 10 years and we're never, ever go back to the way that it was. You know, it's, it's like when TSA happened, it happened because of 9-11. We never went back to open airports again. So let's be clear, coronavirus is here for a long period of time. We're going to have to be, have, probably have many vaccines, just like we have for the flu. Um, and, and then we have other pandemics that are happening. You know, when, when you look at our environment and you look at the, the rains and the floods and the fire, you know, we have to look at our infrastructure on that. So social workers are going to be busy for generations. <laughs> um, and, and what is, I'm gonna ask you this, what is the next, the next major crisis and how do we prepare for it? You know, I, I mentioned too, Catherine, I mentioned, you know, when we had 9-11, the world came together and we solved that problem. Now we have coronavirus. No, the world is politicized around that. And we have racial injustice. And some people still don't believe that racial injustice happens in our country. So, um, and we have environmental injustice. So, you know, our, our agenda, just as you say, is full. So what is a day like for me? I, A, look at my emails in the morning, just to line up, what do I need to do and make sure that I'm at the right place at the right time. I do a lot of Zooming. Um, I do get Zoom fatigue, so I, I have now put up a number in my head, uh, no more after that. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't feel guilty for saying no. I also um, spend time in, I, I tell people I don't have time to write like I would. Many people would like to write, but that is just not an agenda that I can do right now. Um, writing recommendations is hard for me. You know, people who meet me um, want me to write a recommendation. So I really tell people, you know, I just don't write recommendations if I met you one time, you know, mm -hmm. I just can't do it. And even if I met you um, and I've known you for a long period of time, you need to give me the time to write the recommendation. You just can't say I need this this week. Um, it, it just can't happen that way. Uh, I try to keep my agenda at the center of everything. And my agenda this year is voting you know, voting suppression, what we know, everyone has the right to vote. Whitney Young was the president of NASW. He wrote uh, the Voting Rights Act, and he believed years ago in the 70s uh, that everyone should have the right to vote and everyone should have uh, the right to have equity and access. And that's what mine is, you know. So that's how I say my yes and how I say no. If people are outside of that or, or want me to do something different, I, I lead them to where they can find people to do that. But I have to have a focus and every year I have an agenda and that's what it is this year because I'm just, I, I'm just upset that we are moving to perhaps losing our democracy. And we're going to pause it right there, a little cliffhanger for you. What does she mean by losing our democracy? That is huge. We covered so many different topics today. 
on all different levels, all different social issues pertaining to social work and the populations that we help. We will be back next week for part two of the interview with Mitzi Joyner. Definitely subscribe right now so you get notified as soon as that episode drops and you can hear the rest of the interview. And until then, have a great week. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, please open up your iTunes, tap the five stars, and leave a short note on why you love listening to the Social Workers Rise podcast. Also, if you want to share it on social media, I absolutely love it. You'll have me fangirling all over you. Take a screenshot and share it and tag me at Social Workers Rise on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, just want to leave a little bit of legal disclosure here that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Social Workers Rise podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done so at your own risk. This podcast should not be used in place of professional advice, therapy, or clinical supervision. And with that, my friends, I'll talk to you next week.